Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Morning. Hey guys, ladies, this is the last day you can sign up for the women's retreat. So if you haven't signed up yet, I want to encourage you to to do that. I think they have already almost 80 ladies. And and there are still scholarships available, so I don't want that to be a problem, but we want to really watch you get up there. The men have been having a great weekend. The men are up on the mountain right now, and I know that they're finishing up their, their morning up there. I was up there all day yesterday hanging out with them and playing basketball, and I'm feeling it this morning. And um, hanging, trying to keep up with the younger guys, but all the guys are up there uh, enjoying each other's company and growing in the Lord and um, things. So I just lift them up there. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 5. We're continuing on our series on belief through the Gospel of John. We're in the fifth chapter this morning, part two of self-defense, as we've been looking at the story of the man who was healed by the pool. And we're going to continue that story as we're looking at Jesus giving a defense for why he did that this morning. So John chapter 5, we're looking at verses 31 to 47 this morning. When When a witness is summonsed to the court but refuses to testify, he is held in contempt by the judge if he chooses not to do that. When you stand before Christ, he will hold you in contempt of court if you do not testify also. In the scriptures, we've been challenged to give a defense of the gospel. We've been challenged to be a witness to people in the gospel. Paul the apostle writes a young pastor named Timothy. He says this, he says, Preach the word. That's what we do here. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teachings. Because we have been given the task to bear witness of Christ. My sermon title is Self Defense Part Two. We looked at the first defense. Last week, right? Jesus is giving a defense for the reason why he healed the paralytic on a Sabbath day who had been ill for 38 years, laid up on a pallet. We looked at that story a couple weeks ago. The religious leaders are upset with him because they're more concerned that he did a great miracle, a great work, have mercy, compassion, and mercy on a man on the Sabbath rather than him getting his healing. And what we find in the story here, we find that Jesus begins to to give a defense of why he did that. In, In verses 16 through 47, he first claims what to be equal with God. And then what he does is he claims to have authority over death. And this morning, there are others who will bear witness that he is the son of God. And so we're gonna look at four witnesses this morning, four areas in which he bore witness in the closing verses. Let's look at the scriptures. John chapter 5, starting at verse 31, the end of the chapter. We're going to read that and we're going to look at that this morning. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and the shining light, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than John for the works which the Father has given me to finish the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me, you have neither heard the voice at any time, nor do you see his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. 
I do not receive honor from men, but I know that you, that you do not have the love of God in you. And I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who he, he receives honor from another? And do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how you believe my words? Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Father, we pray for the testimony and the witness of your truth. Father, you've written this in red letters in some of our Bibles. They're your, your words. And so, Father, we ask this morning that your word would speak to us because your word speaks today by your spirit. And I pray this morning as we study your word that, Father, you will begin to challenge your own hearts on how we're to bear witness of who Jesus is, that we would be your witnesses. We'd be God's witnesses to the world. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. We're going to look at four things this morning. First is John the Baptist witnessed of Christ. John the Baptist witnessed of Christ. You see that in verses 31 to 35 here. We know that eyewitnesses are used in the, the court of law. And when there's a trial that comes to place and they call you as a witness, what we used to do, I don't think we do this anymore, is that we used to put a hand on a Bible, we used to raise our right hand, and then we used to say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, God. Everybody say God. God. They still do it. I'm hoping they're, they're bearing witness to the true God. Okay? What you see here is John is a truthful witness, and he's given a truthful defense. And the first thing that Jesus says here is that earlier in the chapter, verses 16, right, to, to, to basically 30, he's been giving his own witness about who he is. Now he's just saying, look, it, now I can't just bear witness of myself. I'm going to have others that are going to bear witness of me to validate the reasons why I do what I do. Because he's about his father's business. He's about the business of healing. He's about the business of salvation. He's about the business of transformation. And so John witnesses of Jesus is true. Look at verses 31 to 33. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There's another who bears witness of me that I know that is the witness, which is the witness of me is true. You have sent John. He is born witness to the truth. Who is this John? That's John the Baptist. Let's talk about John the Baptist here, right? John the Baptist came all the way. When we studied chapter one, he came to bear witness of who Jesus is. Jesus is not going to bear witness of himself. He's going to leave that to others here in this passage. He's going to have others that are going to speak on his behalf. He's going to have others that have his back. He's going to have others that say, he's the, he's the dude. He's the real deal. Because John the Baptist in chapter one said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's bearing witness of who Jesus is. And he's bearing witness to the religious leaders. He's giving testimony to the religious leaders who didn't believe in him. In fact, the religious leaders didn't believe his testimony was true. They would have objected to his claim because in Jewish law, self-testimony, one man is not validated and accepted in the court of law. Scripture states that you need to have two or three witnesses to bring validity. So Jesus came to fulfill the law. All right, two or three witnesses. I got that. Let me lay them out to you. I got four of them, actually. I'm going to go extra to make sure you get this. Okay, one of them, the Baptist. He's the one. He's the true witness. Because John's the Baptist's mission was to bear witness of who Jesus is. Right? He's to bear witness to the multitudes. And we know through the gospel, throughout the four Gospels, the multitude will bear witness of who he is because he's the truth bearer. That was his role as a prophet, right? John was the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus. He was the first 400 years of silence. He broke 400 years of silence as a prophet to speak about Jesus being the Messiah. Come on, come on. So there was silence. Now he wants to break the silence of these men who don't know who he is as a prophet. 
The reason why John is this witness, the reason why John is bearing witness of who Jesus is, is for the salvation of all. That's the reason. We see that in verse 34 and 35, right? Yet I do not receive the testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. What Jesus is saying is, you know what? Regardless of what anybody says, I'm still who I am. I'm still the Messiah, right? I'm still the one coming to the flesh. I, I have a mission. That mission is that I came to save the people from their sin. The Christmas story was the, the launching of that mission, right? When we celebrate Christmas, he's, he comes to the child because he has a mission. He has a purpose that all men would come to him. That was his mission. But John was the, John was the bright light for the moment, he was the bright light for the moment. Think about John, right? He came bearing testimony who Jesus was. The religious leaders didn't like that. He was baptizing at repentance, pointing to Jesus. He was the light in the moment. And, and it brought people great joy. There was even a little dispute between John's disciples and Jesus' disciples. Remember, we studied that a little bit. But what did Jesus say? He said, I must decrease so he can increase, right? I'm not the Messiah, but I'm here to point to the Messiah. And so don't worry about what he's doing. We're on the same team. Come on. We're doing a ministry. It was a dark time because the religious leaders hated him and wanted, wanted him killed. But he was the light. And they rejoiced in his light for a moment. They were blessed by his ministry. They were blessed by his words. They were blessed by what he had done. But John had a, a ministry for a season, if you know John's life. Because he bore witness of who Jesus was, and because he did this great work of baptizing and preaching in the desert and introducing Jesus, even confronting sin of the, of the political people when they were doing their novellas and getting all dramas and getting all stuff, you know, this husband sleeping with this man's wife and going to craziness, just read the Bible, it gets like that sometimes. He says, that's wrong. What you're doing is wrong, man. And because Herod got mad, he threw him in prison and eventually got his head cut off. And we, and we see that in the story, but many were blessed by his ministry, but yet he was martyred by, for his ministry, for bearing witness. In fact, the word in the, in the Greek for the word witness in Acts 1.8 is the word matero, which you get the word martyr. He was martyred for being a witness. There's a cost to being a witness. There's a risk to being a witness. As we are wanting to bear witness of, of Christ. And we are all called to be witnesses of Jesus. In fact, the word witness is used 25 times in this gospel in 18 verses. Is that one of the key words, witness. In fact, the word witness means to give a good testimony, to affirm that one has been seen, heard, or experienced something that he or he knows is because he's taught by divine revelation or inspiration. In some ways, we are the John the Baptist of the day. We are called to bear witness of who Jesus is. That's why one of the commissions after his resurrections, after his resurrection, he said this in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. God gives you strength, power, supernatural power, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses into me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. We're to bear witness like John bore witness, right? We are the light in the darkness. First Peter 3.15 says, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Always be, give, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You walk in such a way that people say, I want what you got. Can people say that about your life? I want what you got. There's something different about you. Then you give a testimony. You give a witness of where that power comes, what that means. Right? So John the Baptist was the first witness. Here's the second witness. The miracles bear witness of Jesus. We see that in John 5.36, right? Uh, there, there's, a, there's a story I want to tell you. You guys know Carmelo. But there's a story, a part of his story. I don't know if he's told you this, but it ministered to me because I think it was a modern-day miracle in the book of Acts. You know that Carmelo came out of a gang lifestyle, a lot of stuff. You know his story. But he was, he, God had been doing this great work, ministry. He's a pastor now. He's doing all these things. And he was going to go on his first 
missionary journey. He was going on his first mission trip to the Dominican Republic with our church. And he was so excited. He was getting ready to do that trip when his pass came up and they said that he had a warrant out for his arrest, arrest in Las Vegas. He didn't know about that. God had been doing the work. He's doing all those things. He's following Jesus. Brent, it was a Sunday night. Brent drives him out to Las Vegas, appears to the court on Monday morning. Monday morning, they go to the court and says, look, there's a warrant for this guy's arrest. We want to take care of it. Can we go before the judge? And all these things. And the lady at the counter says, that's not going to happen today. It probably won't even happen. It's not going to take a while before that happens. He goes, not, she said, not even if Jesus was here, would he get appointed to the judge more than a week? <laughs> the man comes out of the supervisor, comes out of the office, says, put him on the docket tomorrow. Amen. So this is Monday. So Tuesday, they put him on the docket, right? He's on the docket, and then what happens is the next day they come, and because he has a warrant, they arrest him there, right? They arrest him. They take him to a holding tank. He's sitting in a holding tank, and he opens up his Bible, and he has a thing, and he's telling, he's ministering to this other guy that's in the prison. And he's talking to him. He's telling his story, and this is what Jesus has done. He's, he's got a, a true prison ministry. And he's, he's sharing the gospel with the inmate, and then... The correctional officer is hearing him. And the correct says, Trinidad, come here. So Trinidad gets up. He comes over. Come with me. Takes him out of the cell. Come over here. I'm going to put you in this cell. Opens up the cell. Put you. Now you tell this group about Jesus. So he's in there and he's sharing the gospel in the jail. While this is going on, the court hears it. Here's the testimony. He's in the jail for only two hours. They bring him back out. He goes for the judge. All charges put aside. I remember it was a Tuesday because I was covering them to do youth ministry that night. And so I'm at youth ministry preaching to the youth. And guess what? Carmelo and Brent come walking in during youth ministry like, set free. Right? So then what happens is, but he doesn't have his passport yet because... The warrant hindered that. So they're leaving the next day on Wednesday. Wednesday morning, they go. He's cleared. He gets his passport and catches the plane that afternoon to go to the DR. All in a matter of three days. Don't tell me God can't do miracles today. Because he's a miracle working God. What he's saying is, Jesus said, let me tell you, my miracles speak of who I am. My story, each of you are a miracle, a walking miracle, and it tells about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And so Jesus' work validates who he is. Look at 36. But I have a greater witness than John. I love that. Let me tell you what's even bigger than John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, I bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. It's my miracles. These miracles are greater than even John's testimony. The miracle I did at the wedding of Canaan, turning the water to wine, right? The miracle of the sick man who was the nobleman's son. The miracle of the man who was 38 years sick on a, on a bed, physically, emotionally, spiritually lost, hurting. He raised him up, right? Chapter 6, he gets into the feeding of the Another miracle. 12 cats feeding 5,000 people. Come on. You know, don't tell me God can't do miracles. I've seen miracles in this church. I've seen miracles in this church. Speaking to the religious leaders, Jesus said, I told you and you do not believe that the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. <laughs> That's John 10, 25. And it was God the Father that gave him the ability to do the, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Luke, the physician who wrote the Gospel Luke in the book of Acts, affirms that very thought when he says, men of Israel, the Jews, listen up Jews, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. I love that because you got to catch that a little bit. Jesus, who grew up in the hood in Nazareth. Jesus from the little town of Nazareth. 
I hope you catch that because Nazareth was, can anything good coming out of Nazareth? Remember that? Can any good good come out of Nazareth? Listen, Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested publicly endorsed by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. What he's saying is this is like, man, if, if John's testimony doesn't convince you, how about his miracles? Does that convince you? This is what bearing witness to who I am. And the God the Father set me to do the miracles. And my miracles prove my deity, prove that I am God. Come on, come on. Right? He will heal the sick and the blind and the lame. He will display acts of compassion and mercy. He will cast out demons. He will raise the dead. He will calm the storms. But the greatest miracle is going to be the resurrection. The ultimate work accomplished. Nicodemus, the religious leader who came to him in John chapter 3, came in the middle of the night, came to some resolution, some settlement in his heart when he says, Rabbi, we know that you are the teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. These miracles, they were the seal. They were the stamp of approval from the, from the Father. Guys, how do you bear witness of your own miracles of what God's done in your life? You're no longer the walking dead. I know that's a show. But now you're living. Now you're alive. You were dead in your trespasses sin, but God made you alive. That's what he did. We rejoice in that. Okay? He healed us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. What miracle is he doing in you today? What miracle are you seeing daily happening in your life? God's doing miracles every day. Sometimes we just don't see it. You should, some of you should have been dead today, but God kept you alive. You were, like, you were like Mr. Magoo walking and all these crazy stuff around you was gone, but you didn't even realize it because God was protecting you. God does that. So he bears witness by John. He bears witness by the miracles. Here's the third thing. God bears witness by the God the Father. bears witness of Jesus. Validation in our culture is really, really important. Validation. People seek validation. Some might find validation in their education. Some might find validation in their job. How much money they have. The toys that they might buy. Some find validation in a simple like on a Facebook post. People are trying to find validation in something. But the only validation that really matters is when we step into heaven, it says, welcome, good, good job. Welcome, good and faithful servant. Welcome into my kingdom. Good job. That's, everything else is going to perish. Everything's going to pass away. But God's word will never pass away. God, but yet God the Father knew the importance of validation. He knew the importance of affirmation. He knew the importance of the gathering of what we're doing here this morning because this affirms and encourages and edifies and builds up and strengthens, renews, refreshes, refuels you from a long, hard week or some bad news you got or something. And then we hear the words. The word is the affirmation to us saying, stay in the game. Don't tap out. Because sometimes the world will get a little hard. it get a little difficult. And we know that God the Father often affirmed God the Son, right? Yes, so Jesus adds his Father to the resume of witnesses because of the affirmation. Look at 37. And then the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor see his form. What he's saying is, first of all, the Father testifies of the Son. Peter reminded us at the end of his life, because remember, Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, with Jesus on a mountain, when Moses and Elijah appeared in a heavenly form, and there was a voice that came from heaven. He writes about that experience in 2 Peter 1.17. He says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellence, from the excellence of glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's on a mountain, and there's these prophets next to him, and Jesus is glowing. And Peter and James are done, and they're freaking out. And then there's a voice comes from heaven. 
Like, are we crazy? Like, are we hearing things? Are we seeing things? But yet God is affirming the witness of Jesus, his deity. God the Father saying, this is my son. The same thing happened at Jesus' baptism. He baptized, came up, the dove came, and a voice said, this is my son, and who I'm well pleased. Guys, yes, there. we need to be affirming one another. We need to be honoring one another. Yeah, uh, Friday, my daughter graduated from San Diego State. And my family got to celebrate that. And so that Friday was our day to honor her and affirm her in her accomplishments of what God had done in her life. She has a desire. She, she's an ASNL translator. She works with the deaf, and she translates as a ministry among the deaf. And that's, but we have to affirm those things. Guys, the reason we gather is to affirm one another in our walk. And that's affirming Jesus when we affirm one another. So that's important that we, we do that. But the religious leaders weren't hearing it. They weren't hearing it, right? They weren't hearing it because they had hardness of hearts. You don't hear what I'm saying. You don't hear what I'm bringing. You don't hear what's going on. Be careful you know, we can gather in this room. We can gather and hear the word and still have hardness of heart. You remember when Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and he represented God as the voice of God and he comes to Pharaoh and he brings a word to Pharaoh. And what did Pharaoh's response be? You hardened his heart, right? He hardened his heart to the words of God. And God's bringing all these miracles, 10 of them, and he still hardened his heart. You could be around the miracles of God and still harden your heart. You could see around the transformed lives and harden your heart. You could see the stories that you hear and not yet believe. And that's what he's saying. Like, you guys have such a hard heart that you can't hear and see what even's around you. Hebrews 3, 7 and 9 says that today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. He's referencing the e Egypt and that story. In the day of trials in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Why didn't they make it into the promised land for 40 years? Unbelief. God provided water from a rock, manna from the heavens, parted seas, defeated enemies. Hallelujah. And yet they still did not believe. Come on, come on. That's why the religious leaders didn't see the work or know the truth. The hardness of heart. And so Jesus bears witness of the religious leader's unbelief. Look at 38. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. Man, I love Jesus. Jesus don't put no punches. You don't have any belief because, the, because you, you're not abiding his truth. You're not resting in his truth. You don't receive his truth, right? You should have believed in me because God gave you the word to believe in me. You've been gifted as a nation. Romans 9 says you were blessed with the oracles of God, meaning the word of God. You had the, the Pentateuch. You had the Old Testament, the prophets and, and, and the poets and, 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 and the lawgivers, right? He gifted you with this great gift. See the reality of who Jesus is, the one whom the Father sent. Jesus gives warning, he says, in the last days, there's going to be a drifting and a falling away from the faith. Because people haven't been rooted and abided in God's word. They can't discern the truth from the untruth. They're, they're falling to other faiths and cults and other things because they don't know the truth. Because the seed has fallen on poor soil or rough or rocky ground. So the cause of unbelief is disconnect from his truth, his word. Be careful when you disconnect from his word, then you're open to anybody else's word. You know what I mean? You're opening up anybody else's own truth. Come on, come on. Instead of understanding that Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. We have to stay connected. We have to stay abiding in his word. That's why I teach the way I teach. I'm teaching you verse by verse, word by word, so you can understand his truth. Because I'm trying to ground you in the truth. So when you go outside these doors and somebody gives you another reality or another truth, you have the answer for their truth. See, you don't have to study every other religion. You only have to study the word. The other word will show you the fake of the fault of the other religions. Know the truth. The truth will set you free. Abide in his word. 
and the truth will set you free. And so we see the Father bearing witness. Here's the fourth thing. The Word bears witness of Christ. The Word bears witness of Christ. We see it in verses 39 to 47. Uh, One of my favorite movies is the book of Eli. I don't know if you saw the book of Eli, starring Denzel Washington as Eli, right? It's an apocalyptic story about a man who was on a journey, and he had the only Bible in the whole world, and he needed to get to a safe destination. God was leading him in this destination. And yet there's a villain in the story by the name of Carnegie who has been pursuing the Bible, not for spiritual reasons, but to use it to gain power over the people for selfish gain. Here's the twist in the story. I'm going to blow it for some of you, so if you want to close your ears, you can and watch it later. (laughs) He, Carnegie eventually does get the book. And he opens it up only to discover that it's written in Braille. That the prophet Eli in the story is actually blind, but you don't know that. And he reads it every night. And he, he abides in it every day. And he's put it into memory during this whole journey. So that when he finally gets to this destination in this apocalyptic city that they were trying to collect all the books, he was able to dictate the whole Bible and they wrote it down and got the King James Version of the Bible in the end of the story and they have a copy of the Bible. Listen, God has given us his word. God has given his word to this Jewish nation and the religious leaders through the prophets, through the, through the law, and because of the hardest heart, they couldn't see Jesus as the coming Messiah and worship the law, thinking their good works would be enough for the promise of paradise. Guys, may we be like Eli, putting that word in our heart deeply, that the word would dwell in us richly, that we would abide in it, right? And he reveals a couple of things here about the word and why they did what they did and the problems they had because they had done something as the Jewish nation. Number one, you hold on to my word for salvation. That's an interesting thought here, verse 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are that which testify of me. But wait a minute, Pastor, aren't we supposed to read the word? Aren't we supposed to study it? Aren't we supposed to search it out to show ourselves approved like Awana's right? Search the scriptures? Yes. But they were searching the scriptures for information, not inspiration. They were searching the scriptures for information, not transformation. You can get a lot of head knowledge. There's a lot of people with a lot of head knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge today. We have the internet, right? Anything you want is at the hand. Just go to internet, Google up what you want, find information about that situation. Be careful, Wikipedia is not always true. Listen, we can get a lot of knowledge about God and not know God. The, the, see, the, the Jewish nation, the religious leaders, the priests, the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the whole group. Sanhedrin, these are religious, political people people at that time, knew the law. A Jewish man had to memorize, a Jewish boy had to memorize the whole Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had to memorize it for their bar mitzvah, for their celebration of age. So they had the law in them. They had the word in them. And they, they took pride in having that word in them, but they didn't know who the author of that word was. You think being, they thought being religious by working hard the prize of life. See, they worship the word. They worship the word more than they worship the author of the word. Because their knowledge puffed up. They were knowledgeable, but still dead. <laughs> right? Uh, you know what? I could, I could throw some theological things out at you. Are you a former Armenianist? Pre-meal or post-meal? You're all looking at me like, what the heck are you talking about, Pastor? I don't think you really care about that. I think you care more about, do I love God and do I love others? Let's just keep it simple. But let me tell you, theologians fight over this stuff. Are you Reformed? Are you a Calvinist? Armenianist? Are you God's chosen or do you have free will? There's these, there's these theology places that place and they fight over all this stuff and they write articles and they do journals and they do all of that. I'm like, you guys do your thing. We're going to go just love people and tell people about Jesus. Amen. If I fall in the Reformed camp, great. If I fall in the Armenian camp, great. I'm going to just tell you what Jesus says in the red letter edition and we'll let it fall where it falls. Right? 
I'm not going to bring division over that issues. Feed those who are hungry, give drink to those thirsty, right? Love those that are alone. That's the gospel, man. That's simple. Simple gospel. But they were finding their, their value and affirmation and salvation saying, I'm going to study for hours. I'm going to go to a wailing wall. I'm going to pray for hours. I've been to Israel. I've been to the wailing wall. I've been to the rooms where these guys are in their orthodox you know, hats and, and their curves and they're at the wall, wailing at the wall. I've seen all that. And they do it still today. So here's a PSA, public announcement here for you guys. If you want to join our trip for Israel, still open. <laughs> We're going in October. See Sean on the side there. We have information for them. So still want to take that trip with us. We can get caught up in a lot of theological matters and yet miss the purpose of the scriptures, right? Which is to build up one another, love God, and love others. It's really simple. But he says that the scriptures testify of who I am. The Bible, the word testifies, but you missed it. That's what Jesus is saying here, right? Your head is in the scripture about who I am. You didn't see me in the scriptures. There was a dis disconnect between the reading of the word and worshiping God, right? You remember when in the Christmas story when the wise men came looking for Jesus and they came to Herod, King Herod? And they said, hey, where's the king of the Jews? And then Herod turns to the priests, the religious leaders, the scribes, and said, is this true? And, yeah, and they blow up Mike 5, 2 and said, yeah, there's one coming. Yes, it's true. The wise men went seeking Jesus, but these guys just stayed with Herod. They missed it. They missed it. They didn't see Jesus. Their heads were in the scriptures, but they weren't seeking the Messiah. Okay? We are, yes, we are called to, to study the word. We're all called to study scriptures, right? But the purpose, to, but the reason why we study and the purpose of our study is to know God's heart and plan for us as his people. We're to abide in his word. We're to rest in it. It's a, it's a relational investment when we study his word. See, the study of God's word is to give us a burning love for God and not a big head for knowledge. That's the purpose of the study of God's word. But he said another thing. I'm bearing with my word bears with me, but one of the witnesses that you know me is that you love me. What did he say here in 4044? 40, he says, You guys don't practice love. So you missed it, for God is love. Look at 4044. 40, 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I did not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in, in his own name, him you receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek honor that comes from the only God? Right? You lack love because you don't know the author of love. That's why you lack love. We see that in 40 and 41, right? I did not come on my own. Remember, he came to his own and the own did not receive him. John chapter 1. I came to my own and my own did not receive them, me. That's why he went to the Gentiles, right? That's, you, didn't, you didn't believe and even receive me. And so thus you're not truly a child of God. John 1.12, we studied that. But understand, Jesus, Jesus' identity was not found in the praise of men. He knew who, exactly who he was, come on, come on. right? But you, you're absent of love. Man, may we not be a church that's absent of love. Absent of love. He says, I know you. Ouch. I know that you're absent of love. Right? You're bankrupt. You're bankrupt of love. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know it as the love chapter. But 13 chapter 1 starts with what? If you do all these things, give to the poor, give things, but not have love, it's nothing. Love is the motivating factor of what we do. Love is why we do what we do. They'll know you're my followers if you love one another, Jesus said. Love is the visible act of a believer. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, God is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then there's application of love. And then there's action of love. And the church is to be known by its love. That's how you know me. 
when you love me and you love others. And so the purpose of the scriptures is to develop our love for one another, right? Revelation chapter 7 talks about the seven churches. One of them was the church of Ephesus, right? They did all the right things. They, they, they had a defense for the gospel in Revelation when it referenced the church of Ephesus. They did all the right things yet lacked love. He says, you lost your first love. And what did he say? Repent, go back to what you did, and move forward. That was one of Marx. He said, you know, when Marx is the truth, we're going to lose our love for one another. The light of loves will start dimming out. Church, church, let love be the forefront of what we do. Right? Because love is patient. We got to be patient with one another. Love is kind, so we got to be kind to one another. Love has self-control, right? We got to self, have self-control in our walk with God. Patient, kind, goodness, mercy, self-control. But yet you dishonored God. You didn't receive me. You didn't receive the Father. So you dishonored me. We see that in 43 and 44. But there's another coming, you said. Others come and you honor them, but you don't honor me. Right? Maybe it's a reference to a future Antichrist that might come on the scene. That they're going to honor and worship. Right? There's things that we honor in our lives before God. Be careful of that. They honored themselves. Remember, they wanted to sit at the, the front of the tables. They wanted to get, they stood on the things with all their garb and, and all their stuff and brought attention to themselves. The Bible says, deny yourself, take up your cross and come follow me. Amen. Don't PR yourself. The Bible says what? The humble I will exalt, but the proud I will cast out. The gospel is about humility. Humble and serving Philippians 2 talks about the character of Jesus and he came as a humble servant taking on the flesh of men that we would have the mind of Christ putting others before ourselves. That's love, right? But these men, they had pride. They had arrogance. They wanted the best seat in the house. They wanted to be in the synagogue. They wanted all the, all the stuff that goes with that. And yet in all that, they rejected Jesus. I think the reason why tradition can be powerful in our life. We can hold on to traditions of our forefathers. I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist, I'm Lutheran, I'm Presbyterian. And we hold on more than that than the gospel. You remember in John, we'll get in John chapter nine, the blind men will get healed. And they're like, whoa. And so the religious leaders come and ask you, who healed this blind man? And they go to different people. And they finally come to the blind man's parents. It says, isn't that your son who was blind but now he sees? Who did this? And it says that they were afraid, that they were terrified, because if they said it was basically Jesus, they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. Like, if I say this, then I'm, man, I'm gonna, I have to accept Christ. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so their response was, I don't know, go ask him. That's what the parents said. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some people will hold on more to their traditions than they hold on to Jesus. Right? We're Baptists. That's our denomination. So that we're, that's our denomination. I don't worship our denomination. I worship Jesus. It's good to be blessed as a part of a community, but, but I'm, a, I'm a Jesus follower. That comes first. And he closes the fact that you didn't even receive Moses' testimony. Do you not, do you not think that I accuse, I accuse you to the Father there is one who accuses you? Moses, whom you trust. For, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you be able to believe my words? So he's saying, let me take you back, religious leaders, because you hold true to the Old Testament. You hold true to the Pentateuch, the first five books. Moses was the author of those books. So when he's referencing Moses, he's referencing to the writings of Moses, which is the early books, right? And the religious leaders worshiped Moses in the law. They worshiped his writing. They put their trust in the Pentateuch. In fact, John 9 says that the religious leaders were the disciples of Moses. They described him that way. But they failed to realize that Moses wrote about Jesus. Moses wrote about the coming Messiah. Genesis 3.15, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your heel and you shall bruise his heel. You shall bruise his head and he shall bruise his heel. Referencing Jesus. Exodus 12, what? 1 through 28, right? Passover lamb. Remember, put the blood on the doorpost. They're leaving it. That's a reference to Jesus. Preview of what is to come. A sneak preview of what is to come, right? Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 18. 
dealing with all. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brethren, and, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. If you don't believe Moses' writing, you won't believe in me. That's what he's basically saying, right? Jesus was a completion of the law. All the law could do was point to our sin. What Jesus could do as living words is make provision for the forgiveness of our sin. Right? When you drive down the freeway, right, and you're in a neighborhood, and it says slow down, it has that little sign that shows how fast you are, and it says 20 miles per hour, but you're going 60. You know what that says? You're sinful. You violated the law. That's all the law can do. The law didn't change you from space, changing your, how you drive. It just shows you you're a reckless driver. That's all the law did, right? That's all the law could do for us. It tells how we have reckless living. But Jesus came to correct that reckless living. He gave us power to do that. Amen? So I, I close with these thoughts, guys, as we finish up five. We go into chapter six next week. Number one, John the Baptist bore witness of Christ. That's the first witness. And we're the modern day John. We're called to bear witness of him. The miracles bear witness of Jesus. And each of you is a miracle of God. The God the Father bears witness of Jesus, affirming who he is. And when we love one another, encourage one, and we're affirming the work of God and other people. Lastly, the word bears witness of Christ. His living word bears truth about who he is. Amen? Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings, Lord. And we trust you, Lord, as you're leading, you're leading us into all truth. And we trust your truth. We trust your word. And I trust your word has fallen on the hearts of good soil this morning. So I pray your blessings upon your people. Bless them and look over them. Give them peace, Lord. They're your people. You said in the Old Testament that you are our God and we are your people. We believe that this morning. We believe as we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Guys, as we come this morning, as we close this morning in communion, if you have your cups here, if you haven't, they'll be passing around if you don't get, get one this morning when you came in, is that we celebrate communion every Sunday here, not because it's a tradition we're trying to hold on to, but it's actually found, and I, I, when I started the plan of the church, when we did this church almost 14 years ago, was that when I looked at the early church, what did they do? It says in Acts, every time they gathered, they prayed, that's what we did this morning, they listened to the word, they had fellowship, and they had communion. And every time they got together, they did these things for the encouragement of one another. In their encouragement, in their walk, in a reminder of what Jesus has done for us, and we do this until his coming, the scripture says. That this was us affirming God's work. God affirmed, the Father affirmed God's son work. We're saying, God, we believe in your work. We're affirming your work. We trust in you in work. We're trusting not in our own work, but in your work, in our lives. So, we're all, So the, on the night that he is with his disciples, knowing it's only a matter of hours before he goes to the cross, he has a dinner with them. And he breaks bread with them. He has a conversation with them. Even Judas is there. And he's implementing the Lord's Supper. He's implementing the very practice we're celebrating over 2,100 years later. In Israel, I went to the place where they believed that they had the Lord's Supper. It was a big hall and a place. We went in there and just just sat and meditated on what would have been that night would have looked like. And he held up the bread and he said, this is the body which will be broken for you. And then he broke it. Because by his stripes we are healed. By his brokenness we've been made well. Guys, it also reminds us there are always to be broken before the Lord and humility before God. Let's partake. Then he lifted up the juice or the wine. And he lifted up and he said, this is the wine representing the blood. We know that life is found in the blood. 
Leviticus 17 says that. Without the blood and the shedding of blood, there cannot be the forgiveness of sin. We don't believe this is actually the blood of Christ. We believe it's symbolic. We're not crucifying Jesus every Sunday. He died once and for all. We believe his work is sufficient and it's once. But we're doing this in remembrance of him, realizing there's power in the blood. It's by the blood we are saved as partake. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the work you've done in the hearts of your people. Thank you for the gathering. Lord, now I pray as we close this morning. Father, I know that as we encourage one another after, we're fellowshipping after, Lord, I pray that as they leave this campus, this campus or Encanto campuses, Lord, I'm praying your safety upon your people, that they're bearing witness of who you are in the highs and the lows, in the business place and in the alleyways and everything in between. We pray that they are your PR people, your public relations people, connecting them to you. They're the mediators. They're the ones bearing witness, Lord. They're your soldiers. They're your children. They're your warriors. Brother, they're your people. So I pray this morning that as we leave this building, we're entering into a mission field to love you and to love others. We thank you. We praise you. And we honor you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.